Hello! Hi! I'm Heta Virtiarvi. And I'm Ilona Kivimäki. In this podcast, we talk to global sustainability leaders to find out more about how they tackle the biggest challenge of our lives. We won't be asking why, but how, diving deeper into the best practices of decarbonization. So if you're a sustainability leader, aspiring to be one, or are simply interested to hear more about the topic, tune, tune in! in. The question of today is, how can an oil company be sustainable? Today we welcome Salla Ahonen, VP of Sustainability at Neste, which is one of the world's largest producers of renewable diesel and airplane fuel. We'll be talking about the human challenge of decarbonization, and in the end, Salla will reveal her biggest tip on the matter. Welcome, Salla. Hi, Salla. Welcome to the studio. Hello. Nice to meet you. Good to be here. How has your week started? Really well. It's a sunny day and, and it's been busy in a nice way. I hate going to the office if there's nothing to do, so that's not a problem. I know the feeling. <laughs> good, good. Great to hear. Great to hear. It is really spring here in Helsinki, finally. So could you please tell a bit more about yourself to our audience today? So um, I'm Salla Honen. I'm heading sustainability um, at Neste. been doing that for four years now. Um, it's been an exciting journey, uh, growing the team from seven people to, to 40 people. Um, I have a background in, in engineering, but I'm really bad at engineering, so I, I turned into lobbying. But always, you know, pushing sustainability forward, regardless of whether it's doing research on sustainability or communications on sustainability or lobbying on sustainability or product design on sustainability. That's been like the core of what I've been doing. And the oil industry is now in the kind of having this facing significant change when it comes to the sustainability. So of course, there's like huge amount of work that needs to be done, but there's also a lot of opportunities. Mm. So it must be very interesting uh, being a sustainability leader uh, in industry like that. So how how you have approached this? Well, <laughs> good question. And uh, something um, I get quite a lot. So people asking, like, you were not looking for an easy job. No, no, <laughs> I wasn't looking for an easy job. Um, I think it's exciting to see the possibilities and, and the impact that you can make. But also Neste is unique. It's not your typical oil company. So um, I, I keep sharing with people that when they first approached me, I, I was thinking that, you know, I'm not interested in oil company it's an old man's dying business but looking at what nested does i mean it's transforming into a leader in renewable aviation fuels it's got renewable polymers and chemicals chemical recycling of plastic so actually it's a company that is solving many of the big sustainability challenges that the world is facing be it climate or or you know drowning in plastic waste so for me the motivation comes from there that i know i can have a good impact because then if you go to a company that is all about doing something nice already then where's your impact? So to think about a typical question, ca ca uh, can oil company be sustainable? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. I mean, I think there are two ways of, of defining. It's either that your business is sustainable, that you're actually, you're, the core of what you do is about solving sustainability challenges, which for next days, already that. I mean, we still have the legacy oil business as well. And for that, then we're trying to do that in as sustainable a manner as, as possible. So in a way, it's two challenges in one company, which is great. Yeah, yeah, sounds really good. And I think this, we met with you in a in an event in Berlin, and I, you were talking about... Oh dear. <laughs> 
No, but I loved it because you were talking about how everyone's talking about this being this whole supply chain uh, emission reduction or company emission reduction in general, that it's kind of a tech problem or a data problem. And you were saying that it's actually a human problem. So could you elaborate a bit on, on your thinking here? <laughs> sure, and maybe uh, disclosing a little bit about my background. So I spent 20 years in that industry. So I absolutely love everything you can do with digitalization and, and you know, data management is going to be critical. But I, I find it really tiring when I get 20 emails a day from companies saying, we have a solution that will solve all of your climate data problems. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is that you should treat this as something that needs difficult choices, but also different tools. And to motivate people to make those choices, you need to get the people on board. So it's not just about finding the right tool, but you need the people to define what do you use the tools for? How do you use it? What is the data that you need? And beyond that, you need people who have the brains to come up with the solutions. The data alone will not solve the emission problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think we definitely want to dive deeper into the human problem, but maybe first question, like, what do you see is important data to measure? Well, you need to understand what is your baseline, for example? I mean, if you're running a refinery, how much emissions are you causing? So that is, you need to have accurate data. If you don't have that, it's very difficult to start drawing, you know, reduction plans. And then having clear enough, credible data on how much you've been able to reduce, how can you report on that? But here again, it's more important to understand what is causing the emissions and then finding a solution to that. And there you need quite often an engineer's brain and then you can measure the, the impact. Yeah, makes sense. So really doing that groundwork before you can get to that measuring part. Mm. So maybe all of the emissions and then individually, what are the biggest sources of emissions in your plant? And then having measurement on those and then collecting all of that data somewhere so that you can actually manage it so that you can also see that if I make changes here, will it also impact the emissions in another part of the factory or the plant or whatever? So for that, you obviously need to have either somebody with a really flexible brain or good data tools. And what about the kind of importance of the communication between different... Uh... Super important, super important. So quite typically, there is not one person who's running the whole thing. So you need to find who controls what and how do you get these people and their tools to work together. And Neste has been uh, focusing on innovation and developing new uh, production technologies for many years now. And you already touched upon uh, some of the uh, products that you have developed, but you have the renewable diesel, which is made from 100% sustainably uh, sourced raw, uh, renewable raw materials. And also, uh, I was very excited to read about uh, you being the world's leading manufacturer of uh, sustainable aviation fuel. Me too. <laughs> which is uh, just for our listeners, so cleaner and direct replacement for fossil jet fuel and reduces greenhouse gas emissions up to 80%, mm. which is such a dream for everyone who loves to travel I know. around the globe. <laughs> so it seems uh, to us that you have been able to solve this human uh, challenge. So what did it require from uh, Neste to be able to have this 
thought leadership and uh, develop this next generation product. So any best practices you could share? Well, this is a company that's been really focusing on um, innovation R&D for a very long time. So if we think about the renewable diesel, that was already designed in the 1980s, but it was not yet commercialized because nobody thought that it was going to be needed. I mean, why would we cannibalize our own business kind of thinking? So, so really fostering innovation. So we have currently about 25% of the staff working on R&D innovation and engineering. So that's a huge investment if you think about it, because when you think about an oil company, your mind does not go into innovation and R&D. But, but this is it. And we have all these really, really, really wonderful people who, who focus their minds on solving some of these sustainability challenges. We do a lot of collaboration with universities, with research institutes, because we need to understand that, you know, even if we have all these wonderful people, they don't know everything. So finding the right partners, whether it's, you know, partnering in solving a research problem or a partner in, in scaling up a, a small solution that has been created, but you don't know how to scale it up or combining all of these is, is what we focus on um, quite a lot. I think it's a bit of, of the kind of main topic of the day, but I just have to ask if we think about the <laughs> sustainable aviation fuel and the scalability of the production. So the aviation accounts for about two to three percent of the global um, CO2 emissions. And uh, of course, the air travel is growing all the time. Numbers are, are uh, will, will go up quite rapidly. So how long could it take, in your opinion, before we could uh, turn the whole aviation industry into the carbon neutral? Well, <laughs> the aviation industry has got their own um, ambition set, so they want to decarbonize or rather bring down the emissions by 2050. You shouldn't say decarbonize if you talk to chemical engineers. You know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's very important. <laughs> no, but um, currently the sustainable aviation fuel, it's a drop-in fuel, just like the renewable diesel, so you can use it as is. However, currently it's approved to be used um, up to 50% of the blend because, you know, safety is, is the most important driver, obviously, in the aviation industry. Um, there have been, you know, first pilot flights already with 100% um, sustainable aviation fuel, so, so that's not an issue. Scaling up production is, is still an issue, so, so currently it's quite small. We are now building more capacity that we can start um, producing more sustainable aviation fuel if there is enough buyers yeah so there is also demand. that yes so demand uh, currently seems to be built um, through regulation so mandates but also we've developed our very own uh, concept of, of selling sustainable aviation fuel to corporate customers and this is actually something that came out of our own climate strategy so we started thinking that if we are really looking for all kinds of, way of ways of bringing down our scope 3 emissions including our own emissions from business travel and I started saying that, you know, we have a sustainable aviation fuel and we, we travel for business. So shouldn't we be utilizing the SAF to, to cover for our, our business aviation? And then I went to the CEO and I said, well, it would cost about a million. And, and then he thought about it and he said, yes, um, let's, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And then we realized that, you know, okay, we have a good solution, but actually making that into a product is quite complicated because yes, there is a company who wants to use SAF, but you need the airlines in between. And then you need the airports in between. So designing that and then also because if you want to then report on your emission reductions and we have a solution that officially doesn't exist. So reporting rules did not exist. So we also had to define how do we do the transaction so that it's credible enough so that the end customer can um, report on their scope three emission reduction. And then we talked to one of these big um, uh, consultancies and said, 
would you approve if a company would report using this methodology? And then we had an OK from one of these reputable uh, companies. And then we had the first company who wanted to also do it. So now, now it's actually a product that we're selling. But there is quite a lot of work yeah. if you want to do it in a credible manner. Yeah, and from a lot of different perspectives, like all the yeah. regulations. So many stakeholders. I'm sorry, I, I did promise short answers. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was really no, interesting. That's, that's so insightful. It's very good. Um, one thing I'm wondering about, because a lot of companies I feel are struggling with this, that they have a sustainability team, like you mentioned now, about 40 people. But then kind of that's not the only people that drive these. Obviously, kind of the actual, for instance, like you mentioned, R&D is also driving these. So do you feel that it's good to have the entire organization involved or to kind of center it around certain people to not have kind of too many cooks in the kitchen, so to say? We go back to the human problem. Yeah. <laughs> I actually do think that it has to be um, implemented throughout the organization. So uh, when we say that we have this carbon neutral production by 2035 target, so we have about 100 different initiatives ongoing. So it cannot be managed by the sustainability exactly. team and it shouldn't be. So we have people from the production, we have people from R&D, we have people from procurement dealing with, you know, renewable electricity um, agreements, etc. So that we have people who take ownership. And that's actually been the most rewarding part of, of doing this, seeing how people now own it. So it's it's not a sustainability project. It is part of our strategy. It is part of everything that people do. And then if you still struggle, then some people are motivated by money. So, so we have, for example, included our uh, climate targets into the long-term incentives for our uh, management. So the management won't get their bonuses unless we move forward with our climate strategy. And it's also about how do you make it easy for people? So when we start asking people, so what could we do to bring emissions down? And then some of them... Examples were really easy, like focus on energy efficiency or start using renewable electricity. And then I was asking, so why haven't we done this already? And then they said that they are not prioritized because it's not in the investment criteria. So we wanted to make it easy for people. So we said that, okay, let's change the investment, investment criteria, which we have done. So it's also, you know, finding the motivation, bringing people to a place where they own it so that they can control it, it gives them purpose, but also make it simple. So if it's always a struggle and you don't know what to do, you won't do it. So what are the different blockers? Try to remove those so that then the others can start running. And you have also embedded it quite uh, part, hugely part of your kind of company's culture. So it's already part of the DNA, so to say. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's a company with a purpose. So already that, because a lot of people join the company because we have the purpose, creating a healthier brand for our children. And then actually designing the climate strategy as well as our sustainability vision, I quite often say that, well, it comes from the purpose. So how do we move in that direction? How do you feel that you're contributing to that? And quite often when we ask newcomers, why did they join the company? They would say that it's because of the purpose. So I think we have to give them something that keeps that motivation going. And speaking about companies with the, with the purpose or uh, the ones who aims to be yeah. <laughs> companies with a purpose. So now we have a lot of uh, large companies that have set emission reduction targets. Mm. They, of course, are now facing time sensitive matters. So uh, what are the 
key things you would urge to consider when trying to get from the setting the targets to building actually strategy to, 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 uh, yeah, to take action? Well, focus on the key issues. I mean, this is why we, we start with the baseline. Yeah, you know, what are the most relevant things for us? Who's in charge of those things? How do you measure and follow up on those things? And then how do you keep the motivation going? So basically what I just said, so making sure that people understand why they're doing it, make it easy for them to do it and follow up and report. Sounds very easy when yeah, you say I was, it. Yeah. I was about to say just the same, but, but that sounds so easy. Like why all of the companies are doing it already? <laughs> well, if they don't, un, if they don't have the motivation, I, I really think that we go back to the, you know, it's a human problem. You have to understand why you're doing this. Otherwise you won't put your effort into solving this issue. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, in reality, it's far from easy and it really is kind of an iterative process where it changes all the time. So how much do you see that, like how much is important to kind of set that this, this is now our strategy and how much do you need to have that flexibility to, to move as new regulations or innovations also? We try to anticipate. So, so basically, and, and this is the lobbyist in me, I think it's really important to follow up on, on discussions in the society so that you can be ahead of regulation. If you're not, then that's going to determine how you do it. Yeah. We'd rather be ahead so that we can do it in a way and at a pace that suits our plans. But this is what we did when we were designing the whole climate strategy, for example. So, so we looked at everything that we should do to bring the emissions down. And then we started looking at, you know, what can we do easily? So put them in front of the, the roadmap and what still needs um, like big changes in, in the refinery, for example. So we looked at when are we planning on having a turnaround? So let's put those initiatives there so that, you know, it's, it's part of the, the running of the system. And then we were looking at some things like green hydrogen. So it might not have been mature enough yet. So we pushed it a little bit further on the timeline. And at the same time, we decided that we need to start working on things like everybody says that, you know, electrification is going to solve everything. And then we need a lot of renewable electricity. But then where is all this electricity going to come from? So starting to look at um, power purchase agreements for making sure that we will have that renewable electricity. Also talking to policymakers, how do they take that role so that companies actually have incentives to make these changes? So making pollution pay or maybe having um, sure that you have this electricity available or that you build alliances together with industry on, on helping to, for example, move forward with hydrogen related projects or whatever. So that you also keep this dialogue with internal stakeholders, but also with external stakeholders so that the business environment is also supporting of your plans. Yeah, exactly. Again, a long lecture. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. How about then kind of what do you see currently as your your biggest challenge in the space? There's probably many, but number one. <laughs> <laughs> Name top three. <laughs> no, making sure that all those things that were innovation projects, that we're able to scale them up so that you can find the right partners and you find the right time to start implementing them. Making sure that the business environment doesn't change in a way that is not supportive. We've had a number of issues. I mean, the pandemic hit the day that we announced our climate strategy. So, <laughs> you know, and I was like, Talk about I, was I was supposed to be the news today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking about perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, in 
it's actually been quite rewarding because you see that the climate focus has not gone away. Since we launched our climate strategy, there's been a pandemic, there's a war in, in, in Europe, and still we're focusing on these things. But main challenge, keeping it there, making sure that you know, other priorities do not come in the way. But now that it's so much implemented uh, in other people's priorities, it's easier to keep it up. But then also, like you were saying, what do you do you know, if changes happen? So keep monitoring also what's happening outside, um, outside of the company. But then also, are we sure that the, the technologies, the innovations that we designed a few years ago are still the most relevant ones going forward? So keeping up on, on that as well. So I wouldn't say that there is like one big challenge or one very specific challenge, but it's more about keeping an eye on the big picture yeah. and making sure that you're still moving according to plan. If there is a big change, then you know you need to be humble enough to say that you know we might reconsider something here but not losing sight of the big picture. Yeah, yeah, and keep going forward towards the goal, yeah. because now I think that sometimes we have been hearing that a lot of companies have it as an excuse that, well, we have had the pandemic and then the war and all of the kind of financial crisis. So that's why we have shifted our priorities and not currently focusing on yeah. the sustainability matters. And yeah, no, that's exactly. You need to make sure that if you have a clear commitment you're moving towards that target. You stick to it no matter what, but of course, exactly. making mm. adjustments along the way. How much are you looking into what competitors are doing and how much are you focusing on your long-term strategy? Well, we're lucky in a way that we're a weird company. So there are very few companies that we can identify as competitors, but it's very much part of, you know, looking at what's happening out there in the business environment. So we do monitor what's happening in, in industry. But, you know, initially I said, I don't want to look at our own sector only. I want to see what are the leaders doing in other sectors as well. So setting your expectation level high enough. I want don't I don't want to be the the best of the the bad ones. Yeah. But really looking at what does good look like, and how can we do it? What What would you say are the leaders? Well, it depends on the topic. Sure. True. How about if you had to name one controversial thought uh, in terms of driving down emissions? And what I mean with that is, what should companies be doing differently? I know you've already named a few, but is there something that you feel that, oh, this is so weird. Why are, why are other companies not doing this? Or why are we not doing this? Um, well, I, I checked with my team if it's okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to do that <laughs> before going publicly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, and I'm all for reporting and transparency and all that, but I'm slightly worried that we have now so many reporting frameworks that we are now letting the reporting drive the doing. And are we sure that we are focusing on the key issues when the frameworks might have been designed by somebody in a different sector or somebody who doesn't understand your business? And, and this is something that I'm struggling with a little bit. And I am extremely lucky we have a, a huge competent team that can take care of the reporting and other stuff. But in many companies, you don't have a big team. And when the reporting requirements are there, then they need to focus on those as well. And it should be done, but maybe also make sure that there is also still somebody who's thinking about what technologies do we need? How do we really make sure that we're focusing on the big items that we need to focus on? Yeah, having the big picture. And um, yeah, because of course, if it, if it, when it comes to the smaller companies, they do not have even resources to think about where to start, what to do, and then they have this reporting uh, 
pressure. Do you have any final thoughts for the final day? Final thoughts, oh Why? dear. <laughs> Words of wisdom. <laughs> Make friends with your um, CFOs. Uh, that's going to be really important. Um, so that you know you can also demonstrate that this makes sense in terms of money. Because if other purposes don't work, then the rest of the people will listen to the money. And we, for example, we've also tied our climate targets into our financing. So we have um, issued a few um, green bonds, for example. We spend a lot of time talking to investors. They are very keen on understanding better what it is that we do on climate. So also making sure that you speak the language of your target group. I love that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Sala, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.